Um, so we're uh, following up our baptism. Uh, we are on the last week. We will be studying the book of Joshua. Uh, so it feels like it's going to be a while a lot of time when we start these, these Old Testament books. Uh, but it's, it's fun to see um, how quickly they go by, kind of once you get into it. And there's um, a lot more usually to learn and to apply to our lives than we realize in some of these. And so I hope that's been uh, the case for all of you as much as it has been for me as we do this. Um, so as we go through life, I think a lot of us have been in a position where we have an idea of something we want to do, that we see something we'd like to see happen in our lives, uh, whether that be some sort of goal or challenge, a change we want to make in our habits, our day-to-day lives, and we decide that that's something we want. But taking that next step and actually getting there is often another story. Uh, I think in my own life, I've seen a lot of examples of this um, within uh, my experience as a, as a coach and an athlete. Um, when I was in college, my, my roommate printed off a sign on a sheet of paper. I think he stole this idea from uh, University of Notre Dame. But he uh, hung it over the, the doorway going out of our apartment. So every day when we walked out of our apartment, I would see this sign that said, run like a champion today. And that's so much of what success in life and in athletics is like. That it's not just having that goal far off in the distance. It's choosing deliberately to do what needs to happen to meet that goal every day, day after day, week after week, month after month. Um, That it's that focus and dedication over the long run that makes that difference in what we're doing, when we're seeking to accomplish a difficult goal. And our walk with the Lord is much the same way. That I think all of us, merely by the fact that we're here, would say that we aspire to follow Christ, to know him, to love him, to walk in his ways. But when we walk out of here, out into the world, when we get up tomorrow morning to go to work, to go about our day-to-day lives. We're going to face challenges to that dedication. Now, there's going to be opportunities where we have to choose obedience to Christ or sin. There's going to be opportunities where we have to choose that obedience and the actions that come with that over following our flesh and our own desires, over taking the easy route that oftentimes presents itself to us when we really would like things to be easier. So our focus point this evening is that serving God requires repeated conscious decisions of obedience. That if we're to walk the path God has laid out for us, if we're to continue living the life that he has called us to, that we are going to have to repeatedly and consciously decide to obey, to do what is right. And I think... um, As I was reading over this passage, we see that word serving there. Uh, Really, our service to God is an act of worship. Uh, That oftentimes in the Old Testament, that word serve can also be used for worship, the Hebrew word there. Um, And so serving God, worshiping God requires that decision to obey on a regular basis. And so we see the people of Israel here 
tonight uh, that they're at the end of the book of Joshua. That Joshua was the new leader commissioned by Moses to follow him. Uh, to lead the people into the promised land. This is the generation who finally got to see God fulfill the promises he had made to their ancestors hundreds of years before. This was a very special time period for the people of Israel, that they got to see God lead them and bless them, that they saw God give them victory after victory over the Canaanites. They saw some setbacks and failures when they failed to obey God and strayed from his plans. And they've seen God set up a system of government to give them everything they need in order to live in the land of Canaan, to be successful, to be blessed, to be who God has called them to be. And so they're in this situation that they're in the beginning process of settling into the promised land. And what we see here tonight is Joshua's final charge, his final commission to the nation, that he has led them across the Jordan River into the land. He's led them in battle after battle after battle, that he has seen God be faithful to this people. And so he's urging them as he departs that they in turn would remain faithful to God, that they would hold fast to God and remember what he has done for them. And so this is his final address there to remind the people to stay on the path that they're on, to continue walking in obedience to the Lord, to continue choosing to obey God after Joshua is gone and they're left without their leader. That they will experience changes, not just in leadership, but in their very lifestyle as they go through this time period. So Joshua is urging them to hold fast to the Lord. That's his final message to the people. So let's go ahead and see what this message looks like. Joshua chapter 23, we'll start in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, 
but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Joshua begins this charge to the people by reminding them of what God has done for them. Uh, that, that first verse there says that God had given rest to Israel from their enemies and that Joshua was old and advanced in years. Uh, that they had seen God give them victory. They had seen God give them rest. And in this situation, the people of Israel had conquered all of the key strategic cities within the land of Canaan. That they were able to go out to defeat their armies, to command these areas that would give them control over the land. Now, at this time, there were still some Canaanites dwelling in some of the outlying areas. And that's what Joshua is warning them about here, that they have strategic control of the promised land as God had promised to them. But they still had work to do. They still had some remaining enemies to drive out from these outlying areas to gain full control of that and to be able to expand the territory they were dwelling in as the nation continued to grow and to settle into this area. So the people of Israel had seen all that God had done, that they had seen God work, God fight on their behalf. And because of that, they need to remember what God has done and remember to obey him. That the first reason for the people of Israel to walk in obedience to God was because they had seen what God had done. That they had no reason to doubt God or to question God because they had seen with their own eyes him working and fighting on their behalf so much. And God has promised to continue to be faithful to them, that God will empower them to drive out their remaining enemies and to help them to continue fighting on their behalf. In verse 6, Joshua tells the people to be very strong, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside neither to the right hand nor to the left. And this is really so much of the message of the teachings of Moses as well, that we saw in the previous books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that God is reminding his people to be faithful to him, to continue walking in his ways, that he gave them these laws to help them live holy, separated lives from the sin and evil around them, that they might walk in obedience to the Lord in their lives, that they would be able to be this special, holy, set-apart people that would be a light to the nations for the glory of God. And in order to do that, they had to continue walking in obedience to God. And there's a risk, there's a challenge that comes to that by their situation in the promised land. In verse 7, he reminds them that they need to not mix with the nations that remain among them or make mention of them or serve their gods. Uh, that these Canaanites that were still dwelling among them were still practicing these false religious practices. They were living abhorrent, sinful lives that God did not approve of, that they were marked by sin and idolatry, by false worship. And that would be a temptation to the people of Israel. And so Joshua's warning them, don't stray from the commands 
that you've been given. Don't depart from the law of Moses. That's going to help you stay on the straight and narrow path to walk in God's ways and to avoid being drawn into idolatry and into sin by the people around you. Verse 8, he tells them how to do that, how to avoid falling into this idolatry. He says to cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. That Israel, throughout their conquest of the promised land, as they were fighting with the Canaanites, conquering the land, that they had done a good job of holding fast to God. We talked about this a little bit last week, that picture of a small child holding on to its parent, knowing that that's where they're safe, that's where they're secure, that they can deal with whatever the world comes to them if they've got mom or dad right there. And that's how Israel was to live their lives. They were to hold fast to God. They were to stay close to him, to not let go, to know that all the evil around them could not harm them if they were right with their God, if they were holding fast to him, walking close to him and obeying him. And he reminds them of the success that they had because of the way that they had held fast to God. Verse 9, that the Lord had driven out before you great and strong nations. Verse 10, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord her God, your God who fights for you. That Israel had success because they were walking with God and God was fighting on their behalf. That if they departed from this close relationship they had with God, if they had stopped walking in obedience to him and in his ways, if they started worshiping the false gods around them, that they would not have that same kind of success. Verse 11, they're told to be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Now, such a great message for us today that in the world around us, that there's varying distractions, that there's sin and evil all around us, that there's people who are worshiping the false gods of this world who would draw us into that same lifestyle. And the antidote for that is to cling to God and to be very careful to love the Lord, that we have to take care to continue walking in obedience to God. Uh, that loving God is not merely a warm, fuzzy feeling inside of us. That loving God is a choice that we have to make in a world that is doing just the opposite. That we have to take care in how we're living our lives, in how we're spending our time, the choices we're making, the people we're spending our time with. That we have to consider how all of these things affect our relationship with our Lord and make the choice consciously, day by day, to love God, to choose the path of loving God in our interactions, in our workplaces, in all that we do. We have to choose and be careful to love the Lord. Verse 12, he describes the opposite situation and what would happen in that case. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining with you and make marriages with them so that you associate them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. There should be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And so he's reminding them, that if they cling to God, if they hold fast to him, if they choose to walk in love and obedience to him, 
that they will have success, that God will bless them, that that was the covenant God had given the people of Israel. If they walk in obedience, if they seek him and worship him alone, that they would be blessed, that they would be successful, and that God would be with them in all they do. The flip side of that covenant that God had made with them at Mount Sinai was that if they do not do that, if they cling instead of clinging to God to the people around them and their sin and their idolatry, if they associate with them, if they intermarry with them, then they would no longer be set apart and holy to the Lord. That this nation would be contaminated by sinfulness, by impure worship, by idolatry, and by all the sin that came with that. And because of that, God would no longer bless them in their endeavors. That he's warned them of this time and time again. That if they're drawn into the evil practices of the people that God was punishing at that very moment, that they would suffer a similar fate to them. That God would cause them to perish, it says in verse 13, off this good ground. So God has presented them with the gift of this land, but they have to choose to continue to walk in obedience in order to stay in that gift, to hold closely to the Lord. And we think about what that looks like in our own lives. Uh, as most of you know, I do youth ministry here at the church. I do a lot of work with, with teens coaching and in my past work with FCA. And we see so often with young people that they're corrupted by those around them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, the people of Israel were in the situation where they were surrounded by bad company. They were surrounded by all these pagan nations that were going the opposite direction of what God had called Israel to. And they had to be careful to not be drawn into too close of a relationship with these people. Uh, that Israel was to be set apart and holy to the Lord. That other nations might see and come to know him. But if, instead of being set apart and holy to God, that they decided to intermingle with sin, to associate themselves with the Canaanites rather than with God, that they would lead, that would lead to great problems. And that's true for us today too, that we are to be a light to the world, that we are to be calling those around us to a relationship with their creator, with the holy God who can redeem any for his glory. But we have to be careful in the midst of that, that we don't get corrupted by the sin of the world around us, that we're to live holy and set apart lives for our God. And what that looks like in practice varies person to person. But again, we have to be making those conscious choices to love God. And sometimes loving God means reaching out to those who don't know him, sharing his love with them. And sometimes loving God means taking a step back and being careful that we don't get drawn into the sins of those around us. Verse 14, this is Joshua speaking, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring, about, bring upon you 
all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. So Joshua is reminding the people, as he is about to die, that they have to be careful to follow God. That God has fulfilled all his promises. Verse 14, he says, You know in your hearts and in your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God has promised concerning you. That the people of Israel had seen visually God fulfill these promises. That they knew what God has done. And so they could trust God because of what he has done. And for us today, we know what God has done for us. That we have seen the work of God in our own hearts, in our own lives, in the lives of those around us. But we have to remember that in times of trial, in times of temptation, in times where God feels distant. We have to remind ourselves of what God has done, of the truth that God has placed within our hearts. That we can't let our flesh squelch that out and distract us from what God has done. And in verse 15, he says, Just as all the good things that the Lord has promised concerning you, you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things. So God is reminding them, hey, see how I have fulfilled all my promises to do good. How I have given this land to you. How I have given victory over your enemies. How I have blessed you immensely. See how I have been faithful to my word here. In just the same way, I will be faithful to my word to punish you if you stray from me. That they could remember that God would be true to his word to bless and to punish, depending on what their choices were in this situation. And we've seen this again before, if you've been with us through our study through the last couple books of the Bible. Um, So much of the message of especially Deuteronomy, is focused on that. That God promises to bless the nation of Israel if they obey, but that they will be cursed if they disobey. That part of that covenant he had made with them hinged on their obedience. That if they wanted to continue dwelling in the land of promise, they had to walk in obedience to God. And as surely as God had fulfilled his promises for good, he would fulfill his promises to punish them if they walked unfaithfully and strayed from his ways. And that's really what he's saying right here. Verse 16 gives us an if-then statement. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, then, a little farther down, the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. So it's very clear here that if they walk away from what God has done, if they stray from his commandments and from his ways, then God's anger will be kindled against them. And it's interesting for us to see this kind of wording here, uh, that we live in a different time, in a different era, and under a different covenant than the people of Israel, that God had given them the covenant to dwell in the promised land, and that was connected with their obedience to him. For us, we see a God 
who has made a new covenant with us, that God has made a promise to bless us, not based on our obedience, but based on the faithfulness of his son, that through the obedience of Christ, we can experience the blessing of God that we don't deserve. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later on. But it's interesting to see God doing this here, uh, that we think of God as being faithful to do good. But we have to remember that this is the same God that we serve, that our God hates sin just as much today as he did here, that our God is holy and perfect and cannot coexist, live amongst a sinful people. And that is why it was so important for a sacrifice to be made on our behalf, that God is a God of holiness and of justice. And the people of Israel had to remember that if they wanted to continue living in the land. And we have to remember that if we're to fully understand who God is and what God has done for us. Chapter 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan, and I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. In these verses here, God, through Joshua, is recapping all that Israel had experienced up to this point. That he's reminding them of all that God had done on their behalf, of how faithful God had been to this people. So in verse 2, he talks about Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. He continues on with the promise to them uh, that he gave 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, that he built up this family. And then he talks about the exile in Egypt, that God brought them through that. And it's interesting as you read through these verses here to note the tense that's here, that God is stating all of these things that he did for the people. Uh, That if you read through this, just real quickly, verse 3, God speaking, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. The end of verse 3, I gave him Isaac. Verse 4, I gave Esau the hill country. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought you out. Verse 6, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Verse 7, God, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I gave them into your hand. I destroyed them. Verse 10, I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11, I gave them the Canaanites into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you. Verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. That God is reminding the people of Israel that all the blessing they have, all that they're experiencing right now is a gift from God. That God was the one who had done all this work that God had given them victory, that God had given this promise at the very beginning to Abraham, that God had been faithful to bring them step by step closer and closer to the fulfillment of this promise, that God protected them, that God fought on their behalf, that God destroyed their enemies, that God protected them from the curses of their enemies, and that God had given them this land and the success that they had experienced. That the reason they were where they were, where they were, the reason that they were dwelling in peace, that they had rest, that they had success and a land to dwell in, was all because of God. That God had done the work here. And it's interesting as we read through the Old Testament, when we see Israel continually looking back to where they had been, that God had delivered them from hardship, from slavery, from being a people with no home and nowhere to dwell, that he had given them a home, he had given them peace, he had given them rest, but they continually were looking back at what they had had before, that they were tempted to turn back to where they were and to the life they had before God had rescued them. And God continually reminds them of how ridiculous that is that they were slaves, that they had nowhere to go, they had no land of their own, that God had given them good things, but they were still drawn back to the life that they had had before. And it's important for the people of Israel to remember what God has done and remember what God had brought them through. And in the same way, it's important for us to remember what God has done on our behalf And what he has delivered us from. That it is God who has given us all that we have. That the fact that we are able to have a relationship with our creator. That we can be forgiven of our sins is only due to the work of God. The fact that we have homes to dwell in. That we have jobs. That we are able to worship God in freedom. 
is only because of his faithfulness, that it's a gift from him, that everything we have is from God. And that we cannot turn back to the life we had before the Lord. And so with all of that, Joshua presents the people of Israel with a choice. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These are probably the most well-known verses in the book of Joshua. That Joshua is doing his best to make a strong point here at the end of his life. That he is urging the people of Israel to not forget what God had done. To not go back to what he had done. And he's telling them how to do this. Verse 14, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And for the people of Israel, in many ways, this really was a fear of the Lord. They had seen the might and power of God put on display against their enemies. That God was reminding them that the tables could dramatically, quickly be turned upon them. That as God had fought for them, God would also fight against them if they failed to obey him. So they were to live in fear of that punishment, but also the fear of the Lord implies a respect, a knowledge of who God is and of who they are in relation to that, that they were to have a fear of the Lord that led them to respect and to worship God for who he was, that he was a mighty God, that he was a just God, and that he was also a God of wrath on those who oppose him. And so they had to understand who God was and live in light of that. The second part of that he gives them is to serve God in sincerity and faithfulness. That their lives were to be an act of worship and service to their Lord. That their whole society was built around the relationship they had with their God. That they were to worship God. That they were to live their lives serving Him and Him alone. And they were to do that sincerely out of a heart that loved God and faithfully, that it had to be continual day after day, that they would not be drawn away to temptation and to sin, but that they would remain faithful in their worship and service to the Lord. In verse 15, Joshua tells them to choose this day whom you will serve, that they had to make that choice right there right then, to commit to serving God. But they also had to continue to make that choice in practice by their actions and by their focus in life. That following God is a choice, and it's a choice that has to be made repeatedly. That we can choose any given day, any given moment, whether we are serving the Lord and worshiping Him, or whether we are serving our own desires, whether we're serving the world and the different idols that lie within it. Uh, that, that can vary moment by moment. And that's why it's important for us 
to not just commit ahead of time to serving God and to walking in his ways, but to make those practical decisions that follow that up, to take those steps of action and of faith to continue walking in obedience to God, walking in the commitment that we have already made. And I think baptism that we saw tonight is such a great picture of that, that it's a public profession of a commitment to follow God. That's a choice we make to identify with our Savior. And much the same way we make that choice, we have to continue to make choices of obedience each day as we're walking with our Lord. In verse 16, we see the people's response to Joshua. Then the people answer, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance." So Joshua presents the people of Israel with this choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people of Israel respond, yes, that God is our God, that God has protected us. God has brought us where we are. He has defended us and given us victory and peace that we want to serve the Lord. In verse 18, they say, for he is our God. And Joshua responds in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. That Joshua is reminding the people of Israel of the seriousness of the words that they had spoken, of the commitment that they had just made. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. That he's reminding them that this is not just a choice you make flippantly. That this requires dedication day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. That following and serving the Lord is not an easy commitment. 
And back to my uh, analogy at the beginning of the sermon. Um, You see so much of this kind of flippant commitment to a goal or to an idea. Uh, It's very common in sports. I think of someone I coached years ago in track and field. And um, about the last month of the track season, he started talking about how he wanted to break this 30-year-old school record in his primary event. And I just shook my head. Like, man, you had to decide to break that school record last summer. It's way too late for that now. That he didn't make those decisions day by day, week after week, month after month, to do the hard work required to reach that goal. That the goal sounds great when it's right there before you, but when you take a step back and realize the commitment required to reach that goal, that that's a different matter. And that's what Joshua is telling the people of Israel here. That this is not something you just say, oh yeah, I want to follow God. No, this is a commitment that you have to know that this is going to require hard work. It's going to require sacrifice. That there's going to be setbacks. And so you have to realize that this will not be an easy task. And as we read over the history of the nation of Israel, we see how true these words from Joshua were, that you are not able to serve the Lord. Now, the people of Israel will see in just a few weeks here as we get into the book of Judges, that they fell away from God, that they failed to walk in obedience to him, to live lives that were set apart, that they began to worship the idols around them, to seek success in the eyes of of the other nations that were dwelling among them. And they strayed from God. And we'll see this cycle where they obey God and then they fall away and something happens and they turn back to God again and then they fall away again. And eventually, God will drive them out of the promised land as he had told them what happened. That because of their sin, their transgression against a holy God, that they would not be able to continue dwelling in the land, in the blessing that God desired for them. But fortunately for Israel and for us, God made another way. That God gave the promise of the new covenant to the people of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God promises to write his law on their hearts that he would make them able to walk in obedience to God, that he would take out the heart of stone that dwelt within them, that caused them to turn back to their sin again and again, that he would give them a heart that would know and understand and obey God. And that's the blessing we're experiencing today through the work of Christ, that God has made us able to be forgiven of our sins and to be given a new heart heart that walks in obedience and in unity with our Savior. That yes, we'll still fail, we'll still be tempted to sin, but God has made a way for us to walk in obedience and in loving unity with him. That God gives the hope and the power to obey him. That on our own, no, we cannot serve the Lord. But God has made a way for us to do that. In verse 23, we see Joshua give the people of Israel a practical step for 
how to do this. He says, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. Uh, this sounds very similar to what he says in verse 14, to put away your gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And so Joshua's reminding the people of Israel that to serve God, to worship God, they have to stop worshiping other gods, that they have to put away the false idols that they worshiped in Egypt, that they worshiped before they knew God, that they have to set those aside and focus on living and holy lives, on following their God and walking in obedience to him. And in our lives today, there's many different things that can distract us and draw our hearts away from the Lord. Uh, We think about how the world around us lives life, what they focus on, what the goals of the world are, the gods that they worship, whether that be money or success or power or different things that people pour their lives and their hearts into, things that may or may not inherently be bad, but have the ability to consume people's focus and their attention and their time. That people worship many different things, and they have to make that conscious choice. We have to make that conscious choice to worship God and Him alone, rather than worshiping the different idols of the world. And so it's important for us to take those practical steps, to know that God has given us a new heart, that he has empowered us to walk in obedience to him, but that we have to put away those idols and choose to walk in obedience to our Lord. James 4, verses 8 through 10, says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That if we want to walk in unity with the Lord, that first step is to draw near to God, that he would draw near to us, to obey him, to put away the idols that distract us, to repent of our sins, and to seek the Lord sincerely. That's the first step to walking with God. Joshua 24, 29. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. And the close of the book of Joshua really is a shift for the people of Israel, uh, that we see Joshua die and be buried. We see Eliezer, the priest at that time, die and be buried. 
And we see in verse 31 that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived him. That they followed these commands, this advice, at least for some time. That they were faithful to God. And we'll see what happens to the nation of Israel. Again, in a few weeks here, when we get into Judges, whether they'll remain faithful to God or depart from what he had done and walk in disobedience before him. But for tonight, we have to remember that serving God requires repeated conscious decisions of obedience, that we have to choose day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, to obey God, to walk in His ways, that we might serve Him better and glorify Him with our lives. It reminds us of the words of Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow So that's what we are to be doing. That's what we are to be about. That we have made the choice to follow God. We have made the commitment to walk in his ways, to surrender our lives to him. So now we have to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and make those hard choices to walk in obedience for the glory of God and for everlasting joy. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are good, Lord, that you do so much for us. I thank you for the example we see in the book of Joshua, that you are faithful to your promises, God, and that you are faithful to your people. I thank you that you have made a way for us to dwell with you, Lord, Uh, to have the hope of eternal life, God, but to also have the hope of living with you day by day. I pray that you would help us to walk in that hope, to dedicate our lives to you, and to walk in that obedience that comes with that dedication, Lord, to make those choices day by day, to love you, to live for you, to see you glorified in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.